Welcome to BizBytes, brought to you by Com Together, helping businesses like yours build their brand through telling amazing stories to engage and grow audiences on multiple platforms. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of BizBytes. And uh, I am really excited about my guest that I've got today. Uh, he's the founder of the genius model. I think that is the best way of describing what he does. Uh, Simon Bowen, a big welcome to the program. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Simon, let's just delve straight into it um, because uh, it's a little bit ironic that we're talking audio and and uh, and you're a visual and you're the visual guy. But but tell me about that that concept of the visual because um, you know to me there's there are different types of learning that people have and visual is a big element of that. So wh- where does it all start for you? Well, I'll I'll paint the picture visually via an auditory medium right and so i i started life in technical in a technical field and primarily in electrics and electronics um but i but i really started life living in the country and uh, you know if you if you if you live around farmers and you get your driver's license you got to go somewhere they grab a stick and they draw a map in the ground and they go you know just drive down this road and about five kilometers before the old shed that's where you got to turn right i mean defies five kilometers before the old shed right basically drive to the shed and come back five kilometers you know but they they draw in the dirt um my father would always make a sketch of something he was going to build in the shed and he put dimensions on it and measures and then i started working in electronics and electrics which of course is a field where you can't actually see the thing that you're doing um, you can't see an electron move, right? And you can't see a transistor operating. And so you have to do everything through a circuit diagram. You you have to have a model of reality on paper that you can use as a blueprint to work from. And indeed, everything that has been created in the human world uh, was an idea in someone's head first. The metaphysics of the transition is it was an idea in someone's head first. Then its first appearance in the actual physical world was invariably a drawing on paper or or a, or a CAD drawing on a computer or something. And so the, the metaphysical appearance of almost everything any human has ever made is a drawing first. And when I kind of thought about that, I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, we, we, we sell services, advisory, you know, consultancy, coaching, um, and we don't ever put a blueprint in place for the for the, for the client for the buyer. You know, if you went to an architect and said, "Hey, I've got a great idea for a house in my head. Can you build it for me?" The architect would say, "No, we need to draw plans, right?" But someone mm. someone goes to someone and says, "Can you help me? You know, ten um, x my business." And the person goes, "Of course I can. Let's go." No, the person needs a blueprint for the brain that sits between thought and and result. So what we actually have is this sequence. If you imagine a hierarchy coming from the top to the bottom, we have thought at the top. We have uh, the the concept in the middle and we have the result at the bottom. And you need to be able to give people a map for the concept. There's there's, there's there's other science behind this as well. As I became more and more focused on this, I really started looking at um, how communication works because there's a a reality to the fact that uh, genius only becomes genius when other people benefit from it, 
So Picasso mm. is an artist and he's a genius, but he only becomes a genius when other people can enjoy his artwork and appreciate it and value it. Prior to that, he's a great artist for his own purposes. It doesn't make him a genius, right? A genius is what happens when people benefit from what you do. And so most people have an intuitive genius about what they do. And most companies get their company genius in the origin story of the founder or the originator. So much market differentiation comes from the origination of the idea. And then and then the yes. founder steps back from the business and the genius they brought to the business starts to dissipate and the company starts to commoditize. So, you know, People can't buy your intuitive genius. It doesn't feel organized. So we need to take that intuitive genius, put it into a framework that allows it to become organized genius so that people can buy the picture. And hence, we created the genius model and visual models, ways of capturing complex ideas into these visual frameworks. And the visual framework does two things. When we just use words, written or spoken, to explain things to people, they go, well, I hear you, but it's just noise. And only 11% of the information we gather from the world around us comes in through the auditory channel, which also includes reading words because we're reading them out loud to ourselves in our head, right? 83% mm. comes through the optic nerve. 83% of the information we gather comes through the visual channel. So if we can turn spoken and written word into a visual it becomes so much more interesting. It's not just noise. Now it's interesting. And people go, oh, I see, right? What we kind of discovered was if we add a structural element to that, so we can get up to the eight, we can tap into the 83% visual plus 11% auditory. We're now at 94% input channel. And we can add structure to it, make it a model. People go, I see, I hear you, I see, and I get it because the model allows them to make sense of it and hold on to this image. And when people say, I see and I get it, it becomes desirable. And then we added choreography, the way you walk through the model to make it viable. So there's a whole lot of science and psychology under this as well. It wasn't just an accidental thing, you know. Um, but it comes, from, it, it comes from growing up in a community where people want the simplest, fastest way to explain something, and generally they would draw to do it. Uh, a, a, a work life that required you to actually be able to understand a model of something complex, uh, simplified on paper, just lines, um, to be able to solve really, really difficult uh, problems. So, um, you know, that's kind of, that's, I mean, I've thought about where does it all come from, but that's probably, and then I had, then <laughs> in a former life, I thought I'd be a high school teacher. So, ah. I, you know, I got my Bachelor of Education and everything else. And then, I, you know, when I'm teaching teenagers. I realise I'm not going to spend 40 years trying to teach teenagers. That's, I, I'm not cut out for this. You know, trying to teach physics, you know, to 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 15-year-old boys is not the greatest fun. And you can't do it if you can't draw it. Like if you're teaching physics, you've got to be able to draw, you know, the law of inertia or you, you can't, you just can't grab their attention if you can't draw it. And so... That all, I guess, coalesced, and as a consultant, I would draw models, and I just assumed everybody used models until one day someone took me aside and went, "You need to teach this stuff," and that was the start of it. Yeah, as a, as a as a its own business. I I love it. I mean, I I know before I encountered you that 
you know, I was talking about frameworks for for with clients and in a very unsophisticated way, I suppose, in in those mm-hmm. days. And I think the the interesting thing when you talk about the the genius is that that's what many organizations, businesses don't realize that mm-hmm. they have there, that they have their own, often it's their own unique approach to the way they do things yeah. based on their own experiences. And that's where it lies. A lot of people think, oh, you know, it's just it, it, it's it's just the same as what everybody else is, but it invariably isn't. There's always your own spin, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And I have a really strong belief in business as one of the most powerful forces for good on the planet, if the right people are leading it, for a few reasons. Business run well is self-sustaining, right? Charities are not. They need handouts. Business can Mm. broach international borders like governments can't. You know, business can mobilise at a much greater speed than almost anybody else. And business has the potential to solve some of the biggest problems because businesses only exist if they solve a problem, right? So, and if they solve the problem in practical, tangible terms. So business in the hands of the right leaders is maybe one of the most powerful forces for good on the planet. And therefore selling should be the most noble thing any business does, which means, you know, transparent with integrity. And that means you've got to let people see the value, right? And, so as we started getting people to think about frameworks and models to express value, we started to discover this issue twofold. One is people were fundamentally ill-equipped with frameworks as a language. They weren't taught that mm. in school. They're not taught that in business school. They're not taught that anywhere, right? But, but you know, framework frameworks are a vocabulary, right? And and one of the one of the ways yes. I kind of explain that you'll often you know let's say you see someone who goes oh here's my matrix for this problem, and it's it's a it's a two by two matrix four little boxes and they've got a word in each box and they're calling that a matrix. That is not a model and it's not a matrix. It's a list of four things in a box. Right. What makes it a matrix is what the vertical dimension and the horizontal dimension are. And what are the what are the yes. streams of each of those continuums, the vertical continuum, the horizontal continuum? And what does the horizontal and vertical continuum uh you know, what 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 is the interface of those on the bottom left corner and the top left corner and the bottom right corner and the top right corner? It becomes a framework or a model when the dimensionality of the ge- geometry tell a part of the story. Sometimes people will will put things in a triangle to try and show it, but it's really a list of three things again. You know, now the triangle yes. tells us you must have all three, otherwise the whole thing collapses. So if you're presenting three big ideas as a triangle and you're not saying to the audience you must have all three of these, otherwise it collapses, you, the triangle is serving no purpose. But also, by the way, what's going on on the apex of each of the two sides? Because that's another space in the triangle that deserves to be spoken about. And the moment you talk about mm. side one and side two, create this thing in the apex. Now you're working through the geometric dimensionality of the of the model, and there's so much story being more. There's so much more of a story being told. You're actually saying to people, "We've really thought about the structure of this. Not just it's not just in three ideas. We've talked. We thought about how they interact, 
how they should lay out in that triangle, what order they should go in, what happens between each of the two. What if you get two of those sides and not the third one? Does it collapse? If it doesn't, it's a Venn diagram. It's not a triangle. But if it does collapse, it's a triangle, right? The, the most basic model is a continuum. And what, do, mm. what are the two extremes? But also, what's the big chunk in the middle that is generally neutral territory? And how wide is neutral? If the continuum is from one to ten, is it neutral from three to seven, or is it only neutral at five and six? You know, like what's the geometric story? And the more I dug into this, the more powerful that became. First thing, the first thing was that people have not been schooled in communicating through frameworks, and there's so much more to be told. And then, of course, I realized things have not people have not been taught to think through frameworks. So if you let's say, oh, we have three key things that we do with our clients. And you haven't thought about what the intersection of each of those is on a triangle. You're missing a whole conversation. But if you put them into yes. a triangle and you go, OK, there's spaces there. What's in the spaces? You know, like the geometry forces you to take the conversation deeper. And we've worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of companies worldwide in every industry from defence shipbuilding down to a sole practice business coach, right? And I don't think I've worked with a company yet, particularly where we're unpacking the genius model for them, so this single thread of genius that runs through the company. I don't think I've worked with a company yet, including, you know, multi-billion dollar multinational companies, where we haven't reached a point where the C-suite or the founder, or you know, the management team, or whatever, whatever level of company it is, hasn't said something like, "We've never really captured our genius as deeply mm. as we have through this conversation using a model to do it." Right? Because where does company genius come from? Well, it is a triangle, <laughs> right? <laughs> and one side of the triangle, the three sides of the triangle are who. So the founder or the originator, the second side is what, the big idea, and the third side is how, the delivery. And the most important side is the who, the founder, right? Because there are three mm. things that a founder or an originator brings to the table when a company is formed, and every company was formed from a founder, right? So the founder brings, firstly, a philosophy. What do they believe to be true about what they do, the market they serve, the customers they work with, the nature of the rest of the market. For example, I believe that business is the most powerful force we've got on the planet, and I think selling should be the most noble thing that any business does. Now, that philosophy automatically puts me at odds with the false scarcity and urgency sales brigade that are still using 20th century selling, right? Foot in the door, grind yes. people down, high pressure. We have a philosophical difference, right? Um, I believe selling is is I believe selling is an art form and I and I believe it you know I believe it is in its own right a force for good. Um but I also mm. believe I also believe selling is is probably the highest risk activity a person takes as a salesperson and a person takes as a customer. So because most customers are suspicious. So Selling should be based on buyer safety. Buyer safety is a philosophy that I have, that the buyer should feel safer with you at every step of the marketing and sales process than they do with any other alternative. That challenges how we're going to teach people to sell. So what's the founder's philosophy, right? The second thing is what's the founder's history or their high story, meaning what are the wins they've had over time? 
there's only three things that happen to us in life, wins, losses, and lessons, right? And we choose between the losses and the lessons. So every loss could be a lesson if we choose it to be. So what's their high story, meaning what are the wins? And we seldom learn from wins, to be honest. You don't see the mm. winning championship team huddled over a board trying to figure out, you know, debriefing the game. They're out celebrating. But the team that lost is debriefing the game, trying to get the lessons. So what are the wins and what are the lessons you got from the losses? And have you codified them? Have you, you know, so that other people are gain from them? And then the third thing is expertise, formal and informal experience and education. And so a founder or an originator of, of, a, of an idea or a solution, the, the, the business or the solution comes from that space in the first instance, right? Then it turns into this big idea, which has to have contextual relevance, conceptual um, clarity, and then can demonstrate the consequence, the benefit that people get if they use it, right? And then the how, the delivery is the specifications, how many, in what order, which is what everyone seems to sell to is the how and the concept. And then eventually they stop selling against the, here's why the founder is always the best salesperson in the business, because they have the founder's story. But as soon as they stop selling, yes. the founder's story disappears and the company instantly commoditizes. It's just doing a what and a how, just like everybody else. So, you know, it, it may be controversial, but is Apple the same company since Steve Jobs died? It's a fair question. Yeah, it's 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 it, it is a different company. Completely it, it, different. It, um the 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 philosophy is still there, and I think I think the thing I like about the Apple model, um, and where it has changed is now, and and I think it's changed because of the growth of this of the company, um, and and now it's such an accepted, um, brand that people are going into Apple stores, and the question is not whether they will buy; it's a question of what they'll buy, sure. and I I think that that's where that's where their story has progressed to and whether that can continue long term or not is is well, is uh is what we'll have to wait and see well apple apple are going to market head to head based on the tech and so the samsung now i'm an apple user but the samsung and android users are as voraciously protective and passionate about the samsung product and and the you know the android platform and things like that so here, here to me here's how apple changed um one of the very early iphone releases after steve jobs died had a, a effectively an a, an a dysfunctioning map app the map just didn't work mm. it took you to the wrong place it was yep. what i don't think that would have ever happened under steve jobs leadership because perfection was one of these philosophies right one of these principles yes and if it did happen it would have been pulled so quickly you know and and fixed um now every time an ios is released there's 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 often you know you go online and look and, and people are now googling and i do it should i update to the new ios or wait yes. for the bugs to iron out when jobs was alive that never happened right and because when Jobs was alive, Apple was an innovation company. Today, they're a yes. tech and manufacturing company. Now, I'm not saying anything against that, but Tim Cook was the operations manager. He was the manufacturing guy. 
Steve yes. Jobs was the innovation guy. So when Steve Jobs says, I want a white iPhone, Tim Cook said impossible to manufacture without imperfection. Just, you know, to, to have a white-coloured phone and Steve Jobs said, but I want a white phone. So figure it out. But a manufacturing focus would say, let's never release a white phone again because you've got to keep such a pristine manufacturing environment. Different company, right? Um, so mm. as the founder steps back, um, the company starts to commoditize, which is fine so long as you can you know, maintain market share and, and be clear about the discipline you commoditize to. But that genius that was the company, I mean, the genius that was Apple was that they invented almost everything that we all use now. There's a famous story about yeah. Steve Jobs and um, Bill Gates. I, I saw them talking mm. about this on stage at a tech at a tech conference. I wasn't there. I saw it online. And Steve Jobs was quite unwell at this stage. You could see that he was being ravaged by the cancer. And um, the interviewer said, you two guys worked together when you were younger, right? And Bill said, yeah, we did. You know, we, we actually sat side by side for a period of time working on stuff. And he said, I remember us having a debate once and I was saying um, set point technology is where computers are going to go, where there's a grid on the screen and the cursor moves around based on the arrows on the keyboard. And he looked at Steve Jobs and he said, you remember this? And Steve Jobs laughed. And we were having this debate and I said, no, Steve, we've got to build a grid pattern and the and the mount, the, the cursor will move around as we move these arrows. And Steve, Steve, he said, Steve, leant over to the screen put his hand on the screen and he said, Bill, one day people will just go like this and the mouse will move. And he said, I thought he was absolutely ridiculous. And then, of course, Apple made the mouse, you know, mm. and uh, the rest is history. And we all use phones with our fingers moving around on screen and no buttons these days, right? So that was, that was the genius. And then, of course, you had Steve Wozniak who had this genius ability to make anything happen that he thought of, you know, um, they're both not. Yeah, I know. I love the genius. I love the genius of the originality that, that we don't have anymore of the idea that they gave us iTunes. Yeah. And that that was the, that, that, that ultimate free product that did so much for so many people to yeah. draw us in to that, to the Apple world. And that's where it began. And they don't really have that anymore. They don't have that, that, kind of tool that exists there's no innovation in that area no the, 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 the itunes thing about steve saying to when he came back to apple we're not a computer company we're a music company and like that that genius we're gonna have the biggest online we're gonna have the biggest music store in the world right and uh you know to turn the ipod into a phone like i just want people i want mm. people to have a phone with no buttons come on his genius was he just tapped into what people were going to want. That somehow he just knew, right? And it's, do they have that anymore? Is a big question, right? Hope you've been enjoying the conversation so far. We look forward to bringing you part two in the next episode of Biz Bites. Biz Bites is brought to you by Com Together for all your marketing needs so you can build your brand engage audiences on multiple platforms go to comtogether.com.au follow the links to book an appointment for a free consultation